people tend to like to de-risk moving to new companies. And so if you're a leader and you can prove that you've had success regardless of company, regardless of product, regardless of role, and they know that their comp plans, their bonuses, their livelihood, their spouses know it, then wherever they go, they're like, look, I want to go with him or her. They're going to be successful. And and um, and it, it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy because those are the same people that help you to achieve, achieve that success. So the number one thing you can do to build a loyal following as a leader is... Hey there, this is Ben. Thanks for tuning in to Lead the Team. Before we jump in, we just broke into the top 3% of all podcasts globally, and that's largely due to the support of listeners just like you. I invite you to subscribe so you're notified when we release a new episode and also leave a quick review. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Lead the Team Nation. Hold on to your hats today. I've got a fun one in store for you with Sean Burke, who is the Chief Operating Officer over at Prometric, where he leads a team of 2,000 employees. And Prometric, in case you're not familiar with it, is a leading provider of technology-enabled testing and assessment solutions to many of the world's most recognized licensing and certification organizations, academic institutions, and government agencies. For over 30 years, they've been supporting more than 25 million exam hours at their testing locations in more than 180 countries around the world. Now back to Sean. Sean has also served as a senior in a leadership and in a senior leadership role over at Kite Desk and has built and sold seven companies. And by the way, if you catch him over on LinkedIn, he also posts stories daily over there related to leadership, sales, and culture. Sean, welcome to lead the team, sir. It's great to be here, Ben. So something that we were talking about before, and uh, let's dive into right out of the gate. How the heck do you know if you actually hired a great leader? Yeah. So one of the things I noticed about great leaders is that um, they have a huge following of loyal team members. And Hmm. when I'm looking for a new leader, if they don't almost make it a requirement to me that, hey, look, if I take this job, I'm coming with a team then I know that they're not as great of a leader as others would be. Because any role that I've really taken in leadership, like if I was going to work for somebody, I wasn't starting the company. I had a cadre of people that I said, look, I know who I can bring into this. That's going to play perfectly for this. And I almost made it a prerequisite of taking the job. So it's Hmm. like the first thing that I look for in any new leader is if they have a team. And I sure do like that. And that's the world we live in now. And leaders forget about this. And I think, you know, out of, gosh, probably 150 interviews now, Josh Ensign, who um, you store for Tesla back in the day, uh, he talked a little bit about this. And you and him are, are in the same boat. But no, I haven't heard this a lot. And I think this is such an important thing as leaders to think about is who are you developing? That loyalty may be to the company, but as a leader, we're really also thinking about their loyalty to your vision as a leader and your belief in them and you taking care of them, you developing them. Um, If you've got a leader today, listen to this and they're like, you know what, Sean, that makes a lot of sense, but you know what? I don't have that. 
today. What do you what what would you recommend as a first step for building that kind of loyalty that they'd follow you to a different organization? So that's a that's a great point. The first thing is um well, there's layers to it. So let me just go mm-hmm. with the first layer and but I do need to cover off a few of them. So first of yeah. all, um in my experience a very, very small percentage of people that are out there in the field working today are really on this path to excellence where they hmm. read every book that they can, invest their personal time into becoming excellent, come up with new ideas, innovate themselves. They have a, their own point of view on the way they, they do their business. And those are the people that I try to surround myself with. And that's where I think we build loyalty. But, but back to the question is, um, People tend to like to de-risk moving to new companies. And so if you're a leader and you can prove that you've had success regardless of company, regardless of product, regardless of role, and they know that their comp plans, their bonuses, their livelihood, their spouses know it, then wherever they go, they're like, look, I want to go with him or her. They're going to be successful. And and um, and it, it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy because those are the same people that help you to achieve achieve that success. So the number one thing you can do to build a loyal following as a leader is make sure they're successful and they're fulfilled. And then they're going to, their loyalty will will likely cause them to follow you wherever you go. And I like the fact you talked about their spouses too, recognizing that you're not just bringing over an individual leader on that team and that you're trying to develop their loyalty. You're actually developing the loyalty of their family, of their household. And you said the word, I love that you said de-risk because you're right when you're, especially when you're a leader, maybe you're having success in your current organization, things are going pretty well. Why would you want to leave a sure thing to go to another company? It seems risky unless of course you've got a leader that you believe in. That's right. Wow. I mean, I, I think that's, that is so powerful and y'all it, it we're, you're hearing from someone who's created and sold seven companies. So this guy knows it. Sean knows a few things about a few the team. So is, I'm, I'm assuming that's been one of your go-to hallmarks of this is to bring in leaders that have followings. And I'm, I'm curious when you're, when you're looking for that, I mean, do you just talk to them and they say, yeah, I think I could bring these people over it, if I bring them in or what do you, how are you kind of filtering through that? To know? Yeah, I purposely avoid it because if hmm. I lead that question, they're going to answer it in the affirmative. What I'm looking for is for them to say, okay, what if you see great leaders, what they're trying to do is figure it out really, really quickly. Is this the right company for me? Can I be successful with this role? Like, Most of my interviews Mm. for jobs, which, by the way, you know, I haven't been an employee that many times in my life. Most of the time, you know, I'd either started a company or as a CEO or or things like that. But they're trying to understand, can they be successful in this role? And immediately, if they think that they can, then they will say, well, wait a minute. Do you have, show me your org chart. How does this work out? Who's in this role? What are their skill sets? Like, they're starting to already act in the role. Mm. And so like one, one mm. story that I had is when, when we went, when I was talking to Prometric about coming on board, they're like, Hey, I'd like for you to interview with the entire senior leadership team. And I said, I'm not going to interview with your leadership team. I'm like, fly me up there, 
get me in a room. Let's whiteboard this. Let's play this thing out. Let's go to work. Let's get a feel for what it would feel like to work here. And by the end of it, I said, I know who's going to slot into these roles. I know what type of person we need in, in these. And it was almost like they got a real life feeling for what it would be like for us to work together. And you know, in those situations, it's much better. It's a much better experience for them and for me. And then I also know where the gaps are in the business. Like, what am I going to need to make sure that I cover? So I'm not a huge fan of interviewing. I'm, I'm much more of a fan of, can we get in here, get some work done and figure out if this is a really good fit? And it's a lot more fun. So, um, mm. so th- I, I don't ask them, who would you bring on the team? I see if they automatically have people that they would slot into it because then you know that they've already figured out a lot of the challenges that they're going to face. And they know that there's people that they could come in. And most most of the times what I've seen in roles is you're hiring someone because you need a change or someone has left or whatever. And so they're the ones that are really good will try to figure out, okay, what do you really need to get done? What do I need to come in and do? What change do I need to make? And and they'll probably need to bring in their own team. Wow. That's a cool idea. Interviewing, I agree. Interviewing is overrated. And especially at senior levels. But I think people, even at lower levels of the organization, may take this approach because they're trying to differentiate themselves and they're getting people get caught up in, you know, HR, I think, has a has a complete, has, definitely has a role here. But you get caught up in resumes and box checking and this and this and this and credentials where, like you say, maybe what you need to do is to pr- bring, get everybody in the same room, present the problem or the vision. And then try to work together. And a just talent see. Is, yeah. Well, in my experience, a talent does not need to interview. They're interviewing you. They're like, why should I come work for you? Like everything's good in my world. Why should I make a change? And so when I think about a talent, I kind of think of it like you're a college sports athletic recruiter and you're competing against the top notch teams out there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you've got to recruit the a talent. And by the way, hmm. you, you will never question if they're a talent or not, because they're immediately figuring out, can I win there? Is this the best place for me? When do I get to start? They ask you different questions. And so then you've got to have your team almost sell them on why you want to join that team. So like, when I find really good talent, they're not just interviewing for the company. What they're really what they're looking for is do I have a coach or do I have a leader that has a track record of success? Can I make what I'm used to making in in, in other ways? And then is my team strong enough that they're gonna lift me up in my own role and I'm gonna get better at it? So <laughs> it's um it is fun. really fun to see top talent come in because you're like, they don't look like anybody else. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I uh, that's cool, and I like the sports analogy because that probably is the closest thing uh, in terms of what people could relate to. Uh, but you're bringing in an all star, or what you hope could be. But just because they're an all star doesn't mean on paper in baseball, maybe they got a great batting average, but doesn't mean they're going to fit well. And so that's they're right. trying to see if they fit, and vice versa. And thinking through that, I, I just love, love, love that. Now let's let's advance the conversation a little bit there. Uh, you talk a lot about push versus pull leadership, and and I would love for you to share a little bit more about that distinction. Yeah. So most of these things that I've learned have not been in 
the 20 years um, prior to the last five years for me. I've really, it's, it seems like in the last five years, I've just figured it all out. Uh, the first 20 years, I made all the mistakes and grinding. Um, so what I found is having enough leaders that report up through me, there's, I, there's a cat, there's two categories of leaders. Um, and by the way, the, this is a generalization that, you know, there's a lot of different types of leaders, but the first one is a push leader. And then as a leader of leaders, what I see in push leaders is that they are always pushing you to make sure that you're helping them accomplish their goals. They, these are the type of people that says, let me get in, let me figure it out. Let me come back to you, tell you what I need to do. And then in every one of your calls with them, because I do one-on-ones every week, they're saying, here are the five things that I need Hmm. from the business to help me move the business forward. Here's the key roles that I need to fill. So they're literally in every step of the way, pushing, pushing the business. And most of them, the best thing you can do is step away, feed their success, and just make sure that their direction doesn't get off the rails with the company. Because a lot of push people get excited about new ideas and they can go off in a field and nobody's out there with them. But what I try to do with them is say, this is great. Let's align Mm -hmm. this to what we're trying to do. Some of those things can't get on a list, Mm -hmm. but push leaders are amazing to work with. By the way, they're the easiest too, because they only really want to like interact with you when they need something to get done. Other than that, they're running the business every right. day. Sign this check. That's right. <laughs> we need to do this. Exactly. Now, pull leaders are a little different. Um, typically, when I find pull leaders is they're a little earlier on in their career. Mm-hmm. And pull leaders are, you have to pull from them key things about what's going on in their business, like asking for numbers asking about talent. It's much more of you're trying to get the information from them. And what they're pulling from you is, how would you handle this? What would be your experience in doing this? And you know, one of the things I look for in hiring new leaders is if they say, Sean, I really want to learn from you. Mm. Can be a red flag if you're trying to bring on somebody new and, and get them ramped up really fast. Because if someone really wants to learn from you, then they're likely going to be trying to pull information from you as a leader. They're going to likely mm-hmm. require more of your time. And they're going to less likely be a push leader who's going to come in and jump into business. So you need a little yep. blend of both. But um, but push leaders, if you're going to do a transformation, they're fantastic to do it. You just got to make sure that that they're focused. Yeah, it sounds like you need a little bit of both. Because I suspect, too, that the pull leaders are the ones that are the rising talent. And that could become A players. But like you say, they've got to come in with the right mindset that they're going to grow and they're going to learn. And they're going to need a lot of mind, a, a lot of that. So I, yeah, I think when, that's a good, that's a helpful distinction, I think, for a lot of leaders to think about when they're building their team. And if you don't have one of these, I'm, I'm curious, you know, in your background, how easy is it to move a pull to a push leader? To, to transition them into that? So the difficulty with them is uh, the time that you have to invest to get them there and how you have to change your leadership with them. So to move mm-hmm. someone from a pull to a push, mm-hmm. when they are asking you questions, you really can never, an- you should never answer them. So for example, if someone comes to me and says, hey, I'm going to hire this person, what do you think? 
immediately I'll say, before I answer, what do you think? And most of the time, pool leaders know the answer to the question. It's a confidence issue. And yeah, they so don't want to be wrong. They don't want to be wrong. Yeah. You're totally right. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. Um, what I try to do is not go first. And then mm. we talk it through and just say, you tell me what you saw. I'll tell you what I saw. And then in the future, you look for some of these things. You look for the gaps. And by the way, the next time, you don't have to come and ask. Just mm. do it. Um, and so that's what I try. It's kind of a process. And the bigger the the bigger the decision, the harder it is for them to make that transition. So you know, if you're talking about something that's a ten thousand dollar decision, not not that hard. If you're talking about a twenty million dollar decision, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna yeah, be a little. It's it. gonna take some time. Yeah. Great, great distinction there for leaders listening today to be thinking about who on your team. And by the way, if you happen to identify this in yourself, I mean, Sean gave you sort of the distinctions there. Who are you as a leader? And if you're in that pool category, that's okay. But start to think about some ways to become more proactive. And uh, you might get into the other category, which I'm assuming most A talent that you were talking about earlier falls into this push category, correct? Generally, you could say that with, with some exceptions. The one thing about pool leaders is that I found mm-hmm. is there they can be more thoughtful. So when you're thinking about putting together a team, sometimes it's good for there to be somebody on the team that's like, we could do that. But have you thought about these three or four other things? Like, by the way, I'm I'm probably the ultimate push leader. And what I tend to like to have beside me is someone who's like, Sean, here are four things you didn't consider in making this. Okay. You know, how do you, like, are you comfortable with those? How do you ad- address them? And so that is the one thing I do like in pool leaders is they tend to, first of all, in conversations, they tend to listen more than they talk. Again, mm-hmm. generalizations. Um, but when they do talk, they, they tend to bring in questions or, or look at an idea differently than everybody else that balances, you know, it's almost like, like type A people, like type A people mm-hmm. tend to be, you know, more extroverted. It's always good to have a balance on your team to make sure that you have that kind of yin and yang. All right. Great. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. Let's let's take a little bit of a turn detour here. I want to make sure we have time to talk about LinkedIn. You post an awful lot on LinkedIn. I like to post on LinkedIn a lot uh, also and find it beneficial. I'm curious from your perspective, when was the moment you decided Hey, I'm going to go all in on LinkedIn. Yeah. On the posting. And I think for people, you know, like me, I'm having a smaller company and, uh, I, it's a really big deal for my small company to on the LinkedIn piece. You have, you, you're doing a lot of corporate type stuff, leading 2000 employees, not give all this extra time to just pontificate on LinkedIn. So you're really having to prioritize that. Uh, What's, you know, what's this journey been like for you on LinkedIn? So what got me to the journey is um, I uh, I listened to a master class uh, from Sir Richard Branson. And mm. one of the things that 
Sir Richard Virgin said Airlines, that. Virgin Music, Virgin all the stuff. Yeah. That, that that Richard Branson. Yes. That Richard Branson. Yep. And one of the things that he says in it is he has this like business concept of he says, screw it, let's do it. When he sees an opportunity, mm-hmm. rather than think through every single scenario, what could happen. I mean, he literally talks about how he started Virgin Airlines in an airline when he had a bad experience. Like he is that extreme. I don't know that I'm that extreme, but it's super motivational for someone like me to hear that. And so all my life, I I had um, kind of committed to myself that I would write a book. And um, I never did. In fact, I had a, a high school teacher when I told them I wanted to write a book, laugh at me. And you want to talk about encouraging Sean Burke, laugh at me that I can't do something. <laughs> so, uh, so I listened to this thing. And I, I will tell you, Ben, I literally made the decision when he said, screw it, let's do it. I said, I'm going to write a book. That's it. I'm, I'm going to do it. And then I started doing the research on it. And um, I used to be very out there publicly. I used to be on podcasts. I used to speak. You know, I was very, you know, a public leader. And, you know, because I'm in, you know, more of a corporate role, you know, I spend a lot more time with my 2000 people. You know, I'm, I'm, I have calls on Tuesday night with China and, and, and Japan, you know, and, and morning meetings with EMEA. It is a very busy job. The other thing that makes it complicated, and then I'll, I'll talk real quick about LinkedIn is, um, a lot of people are watching you when you post publicly on LinkedIn, your employees, other people, board members, um, even competitors. And so you can't always say what you want um, on LinkedIn. But I made a decision to, to jump into it. And when I started talking to publishers and I t- started talking to other authors, the first thing they said to me is, John, you used to have a pretty large audience. Guess what? You got to build your audience back up. And so I said, okay, how do I do it? And we talked to a few people and they said, look, you literally got to post on LinkedIn every day. And from that day on, every single day, I post at least once a day. Wow. And then how many days or how long you've been going so far without yeah. a break? Yeah. So it's, um, I think we're on day 39. All right. And um, I don't, I write them, I write them on the weekend. So, um, you know, I've got about 15,000 words written already. Um, some of the stuff that I'm writing too aligns to the book. So I'm, I'm doing kind of double duty. So anything that I, I'm almost like one of the things we talked about is maybe writing the first book online. Uh, but a lot of the materials that I'm covering in LinkedIn are part of the book, not exact. And mm-hmm. so, um, so it's, it kind of, it's double duty for me. Well, your, your posts certainly cross my, my scroll. And I'm glad we got connected uh, through that. And I um, I can vouch for that. When, when I, before LinkedIn had a big posting thing, uh, blogging, that's right, I was a blogger. And yeah. uh, I basically blogged most of my first book uh, that way, where I would do an article a week and all that. And I, I 100% agree with how you're approaching it with, Hey, you know, these, these 39 posts so far, and I'm, I know you were posting sort of intermittent, more intermittently before that, but taking those and listeners can be thinking about this. It's like, you can test out these ideas, get feedback real time. And it's, it's like eating the elephant, you know, one bite at a time versus going to sit down and write, you know, 50,000 words or something like that. Yeah, I'll tell you the key for me is I use this tool called Shield. I don't know if you use it, but I recommend it to everybody. It actually, you can tag 
So I have a, a graphic, maybe after the podcast, I'll, I'll, I'll walk you through it. But it's basically, what are the topics? So I have five key topics in the book. And what are the type of posts that you can write? And so I just, I, I spread them out. And then in Shield, I tag what type they are. And then I can see the level of engagement yeah. on the tag. So I know, and then I can drill in and see what the audience, who is reading this. So it's amazing how you can post to these public things and really get almost like instantaneous feedback on what people like and they don't like. It's, I got to tell you, it's awesome. Like it's, it's amazing to be mm -hmm. able to have this at your fingerprint or, or yeah, your fingertips. This idea of, Hey, I'm going to go write my book. I'm going to go, go to the beach or I'm going to go to Cleveland in a hotel for seven days. And I'm going to come out with this book. You've never, at that point, you've kind of tested the ideas. Maybe you've talked to people on a cocktail party, maybe spoken from the stage, but I mean, it's a, it's a heck of a lot more fun to get engagement and involvement along and along. And by the time your book does come out, your confidence level so much higher because you're like, man, you know, th these ideas do resonate with people yeah, uh, and they get them. So, uh, yeah, that's great. So it's instead of blogging your book, your LinkedIn posting your book. And then of course you'll probably have to, you know, edit and write more <laughs> at the end of the beat at, when you, when you put it together, but the core ideas will be there. Yeah. And the other thing is you can't take that as a, as a corporate leader, I can't take as controversial view on LinkedIn as like solopreneurs can and others that, that don't. So a lot of those things that drive a lot of activity are things that are controversial yeah. and make people yeah. really upset. So I, yeah. I have to stay away from them and, and play a little bit more in the lines. But in the book, I could probably do a little bit more. But mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. a public setting, you just have to, you have to um, be a little bit more careful. Yeah. Good, great advice for leaders there. A worthwhile endeavor, but yes, understand your company's approach. And if writing a bunch of political rants or some other sort of anti-leadership type posts may not go over well with your company or your customers, it could result in some repercussions. Correct. <laughs> I don't know. Correct. All right. So, so uh, you know, we we I want to make sure we hit on this topic too. This is a little bit of another term, but talking about turnover, we work with organizations on that a good bit. And the catastrophic cost of turnover is something that can be catastrophic. What is your uh, approach for you know your you know throughout your, your time as an executive, seven companies, now a COO? Uh, is this is this something that organizations should be thinking about for themselves? Yeah, so it's a it's a it's a challenging time. Um, there's so many factors going into employment these days work from home the pandemic um the stresses around that the the, mm. the great resignation now you know some hints of some economic issues and so there's just a lot on people you know you just feel it in these days and so when i think about turnover this may be a little contrarian but um a lot of people that i talked to is like wanted wanted turnover and then unwanted turnover. Mm -hmm. And I don't think of it exactly like that. I actually break it into three pieces. Um, nobody wants turnover. So I don't want to say wanted turnover. I, I think there's a class called necessary turnover. And by the way, it could be necessary for both parties. It could be necessary for one party. But there are certain times where turnover is necessary. Um, 
whether it be for a health issue, whether it be for a change of career. Um, sometimes when a company goes through a change, the the skill sets that took them to where they, they're at aren't the same skill sets that take them forward. And, and it is necessary mm-hmm. to make some change. So I put that on the side because that's not really something that um, is an ongoing thing necessarily. And it's not something that, you know, HR teams and leaders, you know, sit down and it's a problem for them. Like they know when they have to do that and they adjust accordingly. Then when you look at unwanted, uh, you know, loss of teams, I look at those into two buckets. One is unwanted turnover with things that you can control. Now, for me, that's where I focus my time. If I can control it, then I want to know why this is happening, especially Mm -hmm. when we're talking about a talent. And so mm-hmm. I put mm-hmm. now unwanted in things that I can't control. I don't waste a minute on that because there's nothing I can do. <laughs> so when I think about turnover, it's yeah. really fo- focused on when did we lose somebody that we that we could have saved? Mm-hmm. What what could we do? And and I try to keep I try to dig into those pretty closely more than just an an exit interview. When I see someone exit the business that I know personally, and with two thousand people, it's hard to know everybody i'll even reach out to them after they left and say hey look keep 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 in touch i'd like to talk with you if you ever um you know if you're ever interested in coming back because i want to follow those careers because who knows what's going to happen but when i look at unwanted um uh turnover that's within my control what i look at is where did we not have a fit was this a hiring mistake was this a was there a comp Mm -hmm. issue was it a leader issue um, and then try to try to address the the root cause of those. And, and in a lot of cases, it's just hey, someone's going to pay them thirty thousand more. Um, in that case, if we couldn't do it, then it would automatically fall into something that's outside of our control. Yeah, you know, so great so, to have those distinctions to look at your turnover. And I agree. Versus saying hey, this is the turnover number, or this is where we want to be. It's really to look at it. in in a much more reflective kind of way and make sure it's happening in ways that's supportive of the business versus destructive to the business. Now, without including names, what's your most colorful story of when someone quit or was fired? Yeah. So nobody likes the fire people. Um, And I've done a fair share of firing in my, my life, but there's been two instances where, um, I actually really enjoyed firing people. And um, I know that may come off a little cold. That may sound a little contrarian, but it was not. In these two instances, um, I actually experienced people intimidating other people. Um, one one time they intimidated somebody with my name attached to it that was not aligned to it. So uh, without getting specifics, they went to someone and said, look, I've been talking with Sean. Sean really wants you to do this. And the person who they told to do that knew me so well that I, they know that I would never ask them to do that. They came back to me and said, Sean, look, I was asked to do this. This doesn't sound like you. Did you really ask them to do that? And I said, absolutely not. He's like, well, they put a lot of pressure on me. I, I literally got off that phone, called the person up. Normally, I don't like to do terminations over the phone. And I somewhat joyfully let that person go because that to me is a breach of trust it's a it's a power move it it's oh, yeah. um there's so many cultural things hmm. and i think as mm-hmm. a leader sometimes you need to be able to show your team what is completely unacceptable 
in your business. And intimidation for me, especially with my name on it, is an absolute no-no. It's only happened two mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. Um, but those two times, uh, it was around uh, in- intimidating another employee, which is, you know, un- yeah, when things are so outside the boundaries, you got to, sometimes you got to send a message. And that's the ultimate message. But like that's that's so far out of the team, they can't be on the team anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right. Yeah. So once the time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career, and how did it lead to your success or growth on down the road? Yeah. So there was a time in my career that I had to let a lot of people go, kind of t- turning, you know, talking about uh, having to let people mm-hmm. go. And as a leader, it was really weighing heavy on me. Like these were people that were all very close to one another that by the way, they, they still all remain very, very mm. close. It was, mm-hmm. a, it was one of the most challenging issues it, that I ever faced. And I, um, I really struggled with it and, um, I knew exactly when I was going to have to do it. I, I, you know, those are dreaded days. Like you try to make those days as soon as possible because you don't want to have to wait weeks and weeks. And I, I just sat back and I kind of like, sat on my back porch. I live in Florida. So I was looking over a lake and I said, how do you do this in the most human and genuine way? Because they all know you, they know me, like they know my heart, they know my head. These are people that, um, I think in a lot of ways they came to the business before me. And, um, so I took a very different approach. I could have brought the people in, by the way, it was it was a group letting go. This, this wasn't I wasn't sitting down one by one. This was a very open communication. And so uh, it happened on a Monday morning, which I know HR people say you should not do, but it was a different Monday morning. Yeah, Friday is have... usually Friday is F for firing. That's usually, right. right? That's usually yeah. Yeah, yeah. Monday is uh, yeah, off cycle. Yeah. So I think the approach and the way that this happened hmm. has changed my leadership forever. So Monday wow. morning. Everybody came in. I had food. We had drinks, plenty of drinks. Like there was booze galore. And I just sat down with everybody and I told them the story. And I said, this is what's happening. And I don't want this to be, I want this to be a celebration of the time we spent together and the the kindness and the appreciation we all have for each other. By the way, I did this at like nine o'clock in the morning and nobody left. We stayed until six, seven o'clock at night. We were telling stories. We sat around. We drank together. I went out on LinkedIn and wrote every single person in that room a recommendation. They all remain personal friends of mine. And like, Hmm. I think one thing that leaders don't appreciate is when you have to give bad news, they run from it. Like they... Nobody likes to do this. And what I found is the more that you lean in and even talk about like how much it hurts you to do this, like it's not easy. The more people will say, look, this didn't work out, but my God, if I ever have a chance to work with them again, I know that I'm working for a human being that isn't just, you know, someone who's just in it for themselves, trying to make a bunch of money, you know, they're, they're selfish. And um, what it taught me is that when you have to do something very hard, you cannot, uh, 
you, you can't leave the emotions out of it. I think it's the, the time that you can show the most realness. And for me personally, many of those team members I still work with um, mm. and I remain friends with them. So it was a massive lesson learned. I don't, don't ever want to have to do it again, Ben, but it taught me a lot about myself and, and, and I hope for them how to do things right. Yeah, how to deliver bad news in the best way you possibly can. Yeah. Or and it doesn't make it doesn't make the bad news good news, but it's certainly it it's amazing how like when that kind of bad news, like, hey, you, you guys have enjoyed working together and now it's coming to a close. Like yeah. this is what we have to do for the business. It's traumatic for people and the leader. And to find a way to make it memorable for the right reasons versus just the wrong reasons. Uh, can go a long way in treating someone like a human being and setting those relationships up for, for success over the long haul and, and, and just relating them as a human being. So, and by the way, uh, I'm curious, what were the cocktails at 9 a.m.? So, well, first <laughs> of all, there's beer galore. Um, so we live <laughs> beer at nine, okay, beer at nine, but a lot yeah. of um, mimosas were, were flowing. Okay. Um, uh, oh, vodka and orange juice. I mean, <laughs> we brought drivers. in a ton. Yeah, I, I would say that it lasted all day. So, I mean, people part. You know, people. It by the end, I think it was more scotch and bourbon, and then of course <laughs> we had Ubers ready for everyone to go home. But what 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 made it so special is everybody stayed. Like nobody left. Like nobody had a huff. Like they understood what was going on. We were very transparent throughout. You know you know, things that we were doing with the business, by the way, it was my call. I owned the call. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so there was quite a mix of alcohol and, um, and we still, we still keep in contact. So. Hmm. Sean, thank you. Uh, I think, I mean, I got a lot more questions. We're not going to get to this, but I think it's a great place to wind this interview up on such a terrific story. Uh, before we finish, number one, what's the best way for people to reach out to you um, if they'd like to connect? And two, what's your parting thought for our listeners today? Yeah, the best way to catch me is on LinkedIn. Um, mm -hmm. And um, I'll I'll be releasing a website probably be time, by the time the podcast goes out. So we'll have some information on the, the website. Uh, so that would be the, the number one thing um, for... The one parting thought, since this is about um, leadership, is I would just share with you to learn from my mistakes is um, when I was a young leader, I thought I had to be perfect. I thought that I had to show everyone that I never made mistakes and I was not vulnerable. I was um, I, I didn't even let employees ever come to my house. And boy, was I wrong. So if you're a leader, um, it's one thing to have their heart. It's one thing to have their head, but if you can have them both, then those people will stay with you and you'll have an amazing, you will have an amazing experience being a leader and the joys that you share and the hardships that you share on that will be an amazing journey for you and the people that you work with. So, so that would be my, my parting thoughts for, for anyone listening. Thanks, Sean. You're welcome. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer 
before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.